The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Yeah, I hope you were, and I'll say, having as much fun as I was just listening to those words and singing those words and praising the Lord and declaring His greatness and His amazing grace. A um, couple of things I forgot to mention in and out. Oh, no. We have a blinking light. It's going to drive me crazy. Ah, there we go. I feel much better now. Uh, like that. Oh, well. <laughs> Way to point out the, the distraction. Uh, somewhere in school, I must have learned not to do it. Two things I forgot to mention. One is, I just want to say a word of thank you, those of you that, while we haven't had kids' ministries, uh, have been braving it and bringing the kids. I've just, just encouraged my heart. I appreciate you going uh, the extra mile there and, and fighting through that. And uh, for those of you that are watching at home waiting for kids' ministries to start, uh, we'll, we'll be ready to have you back. I know there's a few folks like that, so we're ready to go with that. I also wanted to mention, what was the second thing I forgot to mention? Oh, next week. You're supposed to remind me of these things. Next week is communion. Uh, we haven't uh, really observed that together for a long time. We tried one day outside, if you remember, and it started to rain right in the middle. It didn't work out all that well. Uh, so I'm excited about uh, that chance to observe the Lord's Supper together uh, next week uh, here on Sunday morning. So, you ready? We are in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. So if you want to go there. Do um, you like this paper? Uh, the secretary left it in the copy machine, so when I sent my uh, sermon over there to get my sermon notes, it came out orange and black. Uh, it kind of looks a little Halloween-y uh, here like that, but in case you wonder. Oh okay. oh, okay. That's okay. It actually, but but it is then it is Marissa's fault that I'm going to tell this story, okay, because this reminded me of this story. I was talking last week as we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that it is always thought of as this great love poem, which it is. It's beautiful. It's read at weddings and things like that. But we're talking about the fact that there is like a scary aspect to it or somewhat frightening because it is, it really is, it's a hard-hitting passage. It's a very convicting passage. Uh, it's a hard passage to measure up to. So we're talking about it being a little frightening and how if you really preached it at a wedding, it would, wouldn't seem inappropriate. But I got, I got thinking about this. I didn't tell this last week, but when I saw the orange paper, I have to tell this. About three years ago, uh, I got asked to do a wedding over here at, on uh, Redfield Road. Is that Adams Chapel? Is that what that's called? Smith Chapel, right. I knew that. Uh, I was thinking Adams Family because this fit in. But, uh, but anyway, they wanted to do a wedding. I, I don't think I ever told you about this because I'm not sure I'm even proud of it. Uh, but they wanted to do a wedding with a Halloween theme on Halloween Day. So I get there for the wedding. I hadn't really talked too much to the couple, and they, uh, th their whole theme was, it wasn't uh, Beetlejuice. It was uh, like the nightmare before Christmas or something like that. They were all dressed like that. So, you know, so I showed up there, and I, <laughs> okay, uh, this is kind of interesting. It was, it was a very uh, interesting, like I said, after I did that, I thought, I don't even know if, what that was that I was just part of. I'm not sure I told too many people about that, but, uh, but I did now. And if you want to know what it has to do with the message, absolutely nothing. Uh, but I thought of ha Halloween. I did think about the idea that there is kind of a, uh, again, I don't know if scariness is the right word, but I want to warn you that this message is going to be, you know, the old days they used to say preachers would step on your toes. 
Okay, I want to warn you that this message is going to do some toe, toe stomping. Okay, it is going, at least it certainly did in my life. Now, uh, somewhere I read that uh, self-righteous people like to go to church and get beat up by the pastor. You know, have them tell them everything wrong. I don't know if that's true or not. It's an interesting little story, but I, I don't want that to be this case where, hey, this is, hey, let me go, come in here and tell you everything wrong. So we'll get to that. That's not the end of the message. However, I really want to challenge you as you go through to say, Holy Spirit of God, would you show me things in my life? In other words, this is a no elbowing rule. As we go through different characteristics of how God describes love, uh, you are not allowed to elbow your spouse. You are now allowed to emphatically write down one of the points and then kind of show it their way uh, like that. That's against the rules. This is a time for us to examine ourselves before the Lord, not other people. Okay, you got it? All right, that's, that's what we'll focus on as we go through. Now, before we actually get to the text, uh, just as we talk about this statement here for a second, that it is God who defines love, this is so crucial that we remember this. It is not the other way around. We don't find out what we think love is and then say, okay, God has to meet this. God is love. So therefore, uh, if we have a confused definition or a messed up definition, maybe because of songs or movies or just life in general, philosophy, and we have the wrong idea of what love is, and then we try to hold God to that and say God has to be this, we're thinking wrong. Because God is love. What he does is love. Okay? So there's a lot of people that they'll look and they'll say, hey, uh, I can't believe in a God of love who would do this. And, and we kind of think we want God to measure up to what we think love should be. And it's a dangerous way to look at life because God does not say, hey, this is what love is, so therefore I will do it. When God acts, see, it is part of his nature. It is part of his character. It is who he is. And you say, well, God has other aspects. God has a wrath and God has, uh, it, it, even the Bible talks about there's a jealousy of God and there's different characteristics and maybe God, but God never sets any of those aside. God never changes. He is always love. He is always all those things. He doesn't separate out one category and say, oh, today I'm going to be loving. Tomorrow I'm going to be something else. He is always love. Uh, we, I want to you know, make sure that we remember that as we look at how we define love. So let me take a minute. I want to read through the whole passage. It's not all that long. Beginning of verse number 4. I want to read through uh, the beginning of chapter, uh, verse number 8. And then we'll go back and look at the individual things here. But um, we'll be recognizable to many of you. I'm reading from the ESV. So you might uh, you know, even remember some different words that fit there from the King James. But love is patient, verse number four says, and it is kind. Love does not, sorry, I forgot to do my magic little switcher there. There we go. I feel better now. Let me start over again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not ir irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. Now, I could go through there and probably come up with 15 points, but normally I preach a three-point sermon, so I didn't want to try for 15. So we kind of condensed it into seven different characteristics of love as we go through. So we're going to back up. I want to give you seven different uh, marks of true love. And the first one comes from our first phrase there. The Bible says that love is patient. So we will simply uh, stay with that and say uh, that. There we go. Sorry, my 
uh, that uh, patience is the first characteristics. Some of you from the King James, you remember it says that love suffers long. It is long-suffering. So as I think to myself, hey, I think I'm a pretty loving person, the question to ask is, okay, then, am I pretty patient with people? Okay, not do I have a certain feeling or anything like that, but am I patient with others? Am I patient towards my wife? Am I patient towards my kids as they were growing up? Am I patient towards them now? Um, would you agree with me that patience is something that is incredibly needed in a fallen world? Because there are a lot of irritating people, are there not? And a lot of very tough uh, circumstances. But you know, even sometimes in the, the normal everyday things of life, you know, I, I was thinking about this. And I know some of you men, and um, my wife is, is going to be envious with this, because the, some of you men are gifted in the kitchen. You can go in and you can whip something up pretty good. And David's, I think, is, is kind of a chef. Uh, my wife will talk to him. I wish my husband, you know, uh, but, uh, they, but uh, I am not. I am very, 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 very lost in the kitchen. I know where the griddle is. I know where there's a frying pan to get eggs. Anything else, if my wife asks me to get something, it ends up with, she has to get up, and you know, even in the refrigerator, I don't see any cheese. Uh, <laughs> did you open the drawer? Uh, no, like that. But you know, but the now the other is true though. If she goes into the garage, yeah, it's the same. Uh, you can't find that, can you? But you know, the little things in that like in our lives all the time that call for us to have patience. Patience uh, is never tested when we drive, right? Come on. <laughs> no, you can't elbow. You got to look at yourself here. We never test it when you drive. It doesn't irritate you at all when that person stops at the roundabout when there's nobody coming. That does not bother you at all uh, as far as that goes. But love shows up in patience. Now, we'll get uh, to this in a little bit as far as, you know, what this looks like as far as God having this. But, uh, but basically, just to, to simply say, this is something that we need in a fallen world in dealing with people. Uh, we need to have the capacity to handle some of these difficult people and some of these desperate situations. Okay? So we got number one, first characteristic of love is patient. You got it good? Okay, second thing that we go to is, uh, and it says it is kind, but I'm not going to stop there to the next phrase. It says love does not envy. I want to look at those two together and use a, a word that is in some of the other translations and talk about the idea that one of the characteristics of love is generosity. Okay, I am giving to uh, other people of myself, of my time. Uh, I am, you know, just caring. Uh, I, am, I am generous. Uh, love gives and does for others. Now, that's pretty easy to pick up on, you know, what does it look like to give and to think of others first and to uh, acts of kindness. How does that second phrase fit in there, that whole idea that love does not envy? And this is an area that I'm spending a little bit of time on because it's something that I struggle with. I struggle with not um, being able to rejoice with those who things are going well for. I, I struggle sometimes when folks are enjoying more success than I am. Uh, last week when we found out we couldn't uh, use the sports complex, uh, I got on the phone and I called the lady that cleans our building. Uh, she's a professional cleaning business. I called her. I said, hey, Ann, is there any chance you could come in this week and clean? And she said, well, I'm in Las Vegas. And uh, I, I have no idea even what this means. I really don't. But I just thought, oh, I said, okay, well, put 20 on Red Force. 
I don't, I'm not even positive what that means. Uh, but uh, I think it's the roulette wheels. Anybody? Uh, Randy hangs out there all the time. Okay. Uh, so I said, yeah, put, put 20 on red for us. Uh, I, I said, see what happens. She said, okay, I will. She took me seriously. Uh, so she calls me this week, and uh, Fred's on the, on the phone. We had a, on speakerphone, and she says, okay, I'm back. And, and she says, you won't believe it. She said, I won $7,000. I said on red. She said no, black. You lost your twenty. Uh, but I, I honestly thought that uh, you know I should be happy for the lady. She got seven thousand dollars. But my only thought was, you know, I. I'm scared to death to ever gamble, even if I, I'm, I'm not sure it's great stewardship of money to begin with. And secondly, I lose everything. Uh, but I thought, so why does she get to go out there and win seven thousand dollars? I really did. I thought, you know what? Here's another point where I had a little trouble this week. You know, we put out these little midweek momentums on Facebook. Usually, right now, we're probably in the three to four hundred view neighborhood as far as that goes. There was a time when they were kind of cooking. We were getting up even close to a thousand on some of them, three or four hundred or a thousand. We say, oh, the views, you know, I kind of look and check that. Stinking Ben Slocum and his daughter, if anybody saw this, they have a chicken or a rooster and a dog that they put on video chasing each other around a pile of pallets, and they got, it's like four million views now. Four million views for a stinking rooster. I'm pouring my heart out here, and I'm lucky to get 300, and they got, and I, I, I really did. I thought, how do, do they get money for that, too? I think they do. Okay. Uh, anyway, I think they pay you if you get, get a certain amount. But sometimes, you know, I have a hard time with watching somebody else succeed. I'm not very generous about uh, their success, allowing them to enjoy success. For 12 years, I was a, a principal or an administrator, actually, of a small school. And uh, when the time came when they said, uh, okay, I, I taught at the same time all day, and they said, well, you know, we need you to stop teaching and focus on the administration, I was like, but I like teaching. Uh, so I went the other direction. Uh, not a great career move, but actually it was because it was what the Lord had for me. But, uh, but so I went back into teaching and, and enjoyed that. Uh, I'd watch the new administrators would come in. And some of you might have been in this position. Somebody takes your old job. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Especially if they do better than you. <laughs> and some of you are thinking, they never did do better than, me, than I did. But if you watch somebody else take over and start to do your job, sometimes it's very hard to uh, appreciate their success and even rejoice in their success. There's an envy that sneaks in there. But can I admonish you with this? There is always going to be somebody who does something better than you. Always. I tell you this, David, but there's people who are more musically talented than you and even know more computers than you do. Uh, Craig, there are better bass players in the world. Are there any better? No, there's not. Okay. Are there any better runners in the world? Uh, is that you pointing at Nick? Okay. All right. Uh, but, you know, I, I realize that all the time. You know, I look and, and, and my heart should, I know, my heart should rejoice Man, that was really a great sermon that so-and-so preached. Uh, you know, somebody will come back from vacation and tell me about the wonderful sermon. I'm kind of like, well, I've done <laughs> uh, like, like that because, you know, my heart has a hard time with that. I have a hard time being generous about enjoying other people's successes. Okay, let's go on. The next phrase in Scripture says it does not boast or is it, it is not arrogant. That's pretty self-explanatory there. It is the third characteristic is humility. One of the other phrases that some of the translations have there is, is does not seek its own. Boasting, when I am calling attention to myself, reveals an emptiness. Somebody said this, Jesus did not go through life with a swagger. 
If you think about that, Jesus walked through life in humility, not with, not with a swagger. And when I am boasting, when I am uh, advertising myself, uh, I'm moving the opposite direction uh, from love. You know, sometimes um, <laughs> you, you might know somebody like this. They are always making a lot of their own problems. So, you're, you know, they come to visit you because you've just got a cancer diagnosis. And they spend a half hour talking about their ingrown toenail or their hemorrhoids or something like that. Do you, do you know what I mean? Uh, sorry, I don't know where hemorrhoids, but, but anyway. Uh, but, uh, but they, uh, but the, you know, the, y y they're there supposedly to comfort you, but their problem is, you know, the story about the guy that he sees you run down the road with a bucket of water because your house is on fire and he stops and tells you about the time his was on fire. You know, it's that type of thing. I always have to talk about myself. I always have to bring it back to me. I'm seeking my own. But what love does in humility, the exact opposite of that, it is forgetfulness of self. And it is uh, seeking the best for others. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. A, another mark of love is simply courtesy, which has been called the oil of human machinery. When I am courteous, I am valuing others. When I'm using simple words, please and thank you and I'm sorry and excuse me and well done, I am, in, uh, I am showing that I respect and that I value other people. We, um, okay, let, let, let's, let's pretend for a second that I am telling a story and somewhere in this story, now, this is, this is illustration, okay? Do not quote me uh, on this, but I, I kind of want to hear your reaction even in, in me using this for an illustration. Let's say I say, you know, my wife really is pretty lazy uh, and sloppy, okay? <laughs> You're getting mad at me already. I'm just, I told you ahead of time. I was just kidding. Uh, but, you know, if I come up with that, you know, just a rudeness that tears other people down. Why do we tear other people down? What are we doing? Yeah, we're trying to build ourselves up. And, you know, and so often, just in our communication, if we would weigh that, and when Proverbs 31 talks about the, the lady that it says her husband is thought well of by other people in the gates because her conversation about him is positive. But a, there's a rudeness that comes when we're tearing other people down, when we're talking about other people. Uh, and there is a love when instead of doing that, we are lifting them up. And actually, you know, not in an insincere way, but we're trying to make them look good. As, as best we can. Uh, there's a love that comes with that. Okay, next characteristics. We go to this phrase in Scripture. Love is not irritable, <laughs> and it is not resentful. Okay, and the, the, the word we'll say that will add as a characteristic of love is restraint. Beside these verses in, the, in my Bible, I have the, the uh, phrase I just wrote in there, when tired. Love is not irritable when tired. So I have to remember that. My wife would like to amen at that point right there. Right there. And the kids always know, Dad's tired. He's, he's on the edge. <laughs> uh, time for him just to go to bed. Uh, we have a couple other members in our family, not to mention any names, but my daughter in particular. Uh, when she's hungry, it kicks in. You know, it's like, oh, man, this, this beast, this little loving little girl all of a sudden turns into this beast because she's hungry. She's hungry. But when you... Uh, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I just talked about tearing people down, and I said that about my daughter. <laughs> I'm a great illustration of messing up here, uh, if, if you want that. But, uh, but if you, 
when we are easily angered, when we are that person that is, uh, you know, you have to treat with kid gloves or however they say that, or we're just waiting for them to blow up, uh, you know, waiting for the next time when they, they kind of bust loose, they fly off the handle at the, at the littlest thing. Uh, Bible t tells us that that is, not, that is not what love looks like. This could be a besetting sin, I think, sometimes of the person in here that is a hard worker. Remember the uh, prodigal son's older brother, when he returned, uh, it says that he was angry. Uh, and sometimes when I'm working hard and everything like that, and I, I can become very self-righteous, I become very angry with other people. So I have a tendency to fly off the handle. If I can keep my poise when I'm provoked, and you know, that other phrase in there, not being resentful, some of you remember in the King James, it says it does not keep a record of wrong. I'm not adding it up. I'm not remembering the wrongdoing. I'm not resentful. I'm not letting it build up. Um, remember that God, the Bible says that God forgets, I'm sorry, does not remember our sins. It doesn't mean that God can't remember these things, that he's lost some of all, all his knowledge. But what it means is he deliberately says, I am not going to remember this. I am not going to hold this against them. And that's the attitude when you, when you see sometimes, you know, in a relationship that somebody has to hold on to something. And yeah, well, remember, when, you know, it's almost like you're keeping score and keeping a list so that the next time I need this, I get to use this. Then what we have there is the very opposite of love. For God says, I've chosen not to remember those things. By the way, that, that's just a simple little thing. But if you can remember that in discussions with your spouse, that is a great thing just to remember. I'm not going to bring up the past. Okay, I'm not going to have this resurface every, every time and drag that in. That'd be a great principle and a great way to demonstrate love. The um, next one that we want to look at goes from these verses here. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. This is a good quote, but uh, you've got to think about this for a second. There's a British theologian by the name of Alan Redpath from last century that said this. He said, when a man has fallen... Love will think of the battle that he must have fought and the struggle that he must have had before, it's, before he's fallen. Let me say that again. When a man has fallen, love thinks, I'm sorry. Okay? Now, this is very pertinent. I, I don't know how many of you follow the, the uh, culture, you know, what's going on in the Christian world. But actually, this past week, there was a well-known evangel evangel evangelical leader that has made the news, again, as somebody who has fallen and messed up. And, you know, as I watch the different comments and stuff like that, some would say, well, he had that coming. Didn't surprise me at all. Saw that coming. You know, some who are of a little bit of a different bent or a little bit of a different leaning as far as that goes. And I thought, man, the last thing that we want to be doing is rejoicing when somebody else. I am not going to delight in somebody else's sin, even if it's my enemies. Okay? pretty strong statement there, but I'm not, going to I'm not going to delight when somebody else has fallen into sin, even if it is my enemy that has fallen. But the Bible says there uh, that what I'm doing there, I'm not rejoicing in wrongdoing, but I'm taking joy in the truth. I looked at that and was trying to figure out exactly how that fit in. And you know what I mean? Uh, okay, rejoicing in truth. Well, that makes sense. I rejoice in the truth of God's word, everything like that. But how does this fit? Do not rejoice in when somebody has fallen, but instead you rejoice in truth. And it, it, it took me a while. By, by the way, I want to say this. Sometimes I'll say that. Hey, it took me a while to dig into this. I never want to paint the picture that the Bible is too hard to understand, 
that you need to study Alan Redpath from the 1900s, everything like that, get it? I never want to paint that picture. What I'd like to do is get you to understand that the Bible has layers of understanding. And there are some things that I read through the first time, and I thought, yeah, I get it. And then I read the same passage later, and I thought, man, I never saw that before, but that's cool. And then 40 years later, I read the passage again, and I said, wow, that's incredible. This is really good. This is powerful. Uh, and uh, never saw it. So the Bible is like, it has layers. It's like onions or parfaits. Uh, everybody loves a parfait. So, uh, so, but, but in this case, I thought, okay, how does that fit that uh, you're rejoicing in the truth? Uh, finally found one, I believe it was this Ridpath guy again, that he said, I, I believe that what it's saying there is when somebody has fallen, when the truth comes out about them, that is the truth, and now this person can get help. Okay, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. It has fallen, but the truth is here. I'm glad that's out so that now this person uh, no longer has this concealed, but we can actually help this person. Okay. Couldn't wait to get to this. Dan, you ready? It says that love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And it says that love never ends. The last characteristics I want, want us to think about for love today is that it is consistent, or the last feature is that it has consistency. If we can remember that. For me, you know, when it talks about believing all things, hoping all things, seeing all things, um, again, I sometimes struggle with believing the bad and not the good. I mean, I do that. Um, some of you might remember the story of um, Hannah when she was praying and, and her lips were moving and nothing's coming out. And Eli came in and said, oh, you must be drunk. Uh, some of you might remember the story of Elijah. Who he said, I and I alone, I'm the only one who stands for the Lord. And the Lord said, wait a minute, i got 7,000 people over here. They're still standing for the Lord. Sometimes we, we park on the pessimism and we, and we just you know, see uh, everything that, that is bad. And uh, the Bible says that what love does, you know, it's not a cockeyed optimism that is foolish, but it, but it has a, a, a real look and, and is able to be uh, optimistic about what's going on. But love stays. Okay, love remains. And if you take away nothing else, here's, here's a quote I'd like you to get today. Love is not an occasional gesture, but an obvious character. Okay, let me say that again. Love is not an occasional gest gesture, but it is obvious, consistent character. And this is tough. This is where I said it's kind of tough preaching here. But many times, you know, um, Families even have become disillusioned with somebody because their life at home doesn't match the life they see in public. Not in public, I am this generous person. Not in this public, I am this kind person. At church, I'm nice to people and I'm respectful and I'm not rude. But when I get home, that turns around. Okay? What this says here is that love is consistent. It doesn't really take breaks because it, it becomes part of who you are. So I want to, with one last little toe stomp, if I could say, the most important area here where you evaluate yourself is how you behave in everyday life around the person sitting in the pew with you. Chairs. Okay? I think that is most important that we look in that direction. And as we somewhat, you know, move towards wrapping up here, I want to encourage you again just to ask this question or just to take a minute and ask a couple questions. Clicker, not doing great for me today, but uh, I want to encourage you to examine yourself. In other words, ask yourself the question, with whom, okay, with me now, with whom do I need to be more loving? Holy Spirit of God, with whom do I need to be more loving and how? What's the message that 
you brought me here today that your spirit wants to bring into my life? With whom and how? And the second thing that I really want you to do also is just to be encouraged by this message today. Stay with me there. Um, the message of this church, and hopefully the message of every church, should never be, you're a mess, <laughs> go to work. Okay? You are a total mess. You got to try to measure up. And sometimes we think that's what church is about. You know what I mean? I need to go in so they can tell me what I'm doing wrong so then I can try to measure up. The message of church should never be, you're a mess, try to measure up. The message should be, you're a mess, so am I. The grace of God wants to powerfully work in your life, or God wants through his grace to transform you. And you can live this life of love. Okay? Don't uh, don't get caught, you know, lifting ourselves up and, and bringing other, others down. Um, look at this, this verse right here. A couple more verses I want to show you. From Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Because, read, read this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You know, this is what I said last week. We have this capacity to love like God loves because His Spirit has been given to us. So be encouraged by this idea. And Paul prayed for believers so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in this love, that you may know this, this love. So that is why one of the things we want to do here is we want to get together and we want to celebrate His love. We want to remember His love and His goodness. That's why next week we want to take a little wafer and remember that because of love, His body was ripped apart for me. Because of love, His blood was shed for me. I want to remember that God has loved me not because this is all about me and making you, uh, you know, making us feel better about ourselves that we're here. But we do want to sing about His love. We do want to praise His love. We do want to remember His love. Hey, would you go through some of those characteristics of love and think about how God has loved you? Patience. God been patient with anybody in here? As that showed up there? Think about this. We talk about that whole idea of rejoicing when somebody does, does wrong, when somebody falls. Can I assure you God does not do that? You, you know, I remember one time when I was little, there was an area where I was not allowed to go sled riding, and you could see it from our back window. And one day I was sled riding out there, and I wrecked into a tree. And I came home crying. I could still remember this. My mom said, Serge, you're right. <laughs> you, you were over there where you weren't supposed to be, you know, as so I'm wiping up the blood. Uh, and, uh, and, and Serge, you're right. Sometimes we get the idea that God's kind of like that. Okay, you messed up, you fell. <laughs> you had that coming. That doesn't fit what we just read about love, does it? It takes no delight in the sin and the falling of others. So if we could remember God's incredible patience with us, his incredible love, that he is rejoicing when we do well, that he is definitely not rejoicing when we fall, if we could re uh, see him as, as humble uh, in the way he approaches us, approaches us, if we could see his love as that last characteristic, consistent, it never changes, it's always there, it is who he is, it is his character, if we could do that, then maybe we could respond to his love. The right way, in Corinthians, it tells us that we are to be compelled, or some translations use the word constrained by his love. In other words, here's the message of the day, these characteristics are tough stuff. And, and you know, if you came in, if, I, if I'd asked you, do you think you're a loving person? I think most everybody would have said, yeah, basically I think I'm a loving person. But I think all of us, as we look at this standard that God puts out there for what love is, I think all of us can find where we come up short. But the message is not then, you're a mess, go to work. 
The message is, I can love like that because God has loved like that. The message is, I can live like that because God, through His Spirit, has poured His love into my life. Okay? But this is a question I asked last week, and, and the most important question that you start with. Do you have that Spirit of God alive in your life? The Bible says that we, uh, it, for that to take place, we have to be something. The Bible uses the word born again. But what that means is very simply, when I realize that um, I have physical life, but spiritually, because of sin, I'm dead because of my sin. But Jesus Christ came and paid the price for my sin. And he said, believe in me, trust in me for forgiveness of sin, and I'll give you new life. I'll give you etern eternal life. Okay, when you turn from your sin and you turn to me uh, in, in belief and in faith, I'll give you this eternal life. When that happens, the Bible says he pours his spirit into us. Now, I, I should remind you, we have an old nature in us, and it is not uh, it is a battle that we still fight here. Like we still fight the battle with sickness and we still fight the battle with death uh, and, and every, everything like that. But God says, I've poured this new life into you too, this new spirit. And I want uh, you to know that because I have loved you, you can love other people. Okay? This can be a victory that you have. And I, I hope, we're going to sing another song. So folks, if you, you want to come, come up, Great song. I was listening to the words as they, were, um, as they were going through it before. As we sing that song, I just want to encourage you to uh, just say again, God, is there something specific here? Is there, is there somebody that you want me to love that I'm not loving? How is it that you want me to love that person? In which one of these characteristics? But the biggest question I hope also you understand is, or the biggest thing that I hope we understand is that we can love why? Because he loved. Because he first loved. And maybe what you can do this morning is even just celebrate his incredible love. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church. Or call us at 269 663 26 48. Thank you for listening.